You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Bobby Osinski. Bobby. Hello, Mike. Hello, everybody. Next to him, we've got Scott Gershon. Scott. Hi, Mike. Happy E3 week. <laughs> Scott, that was that was like normal words. I, I know. I, I was expecting... I was, I, oh, yeah. Hi, Mike. Uh, <laughs> I was expecting some type of... Hello, Mike! You know, one of those, you know. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Across the way. I, I have to channel, you know, Summerfield, Bobby. There you go. <laughs> I just always remember. I always love that, you know. <laughs> Across the table, we've got... Nick Peck, Nick. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hello, Mike. How are you? Hi, no, gentlemen. We should Happy Hello, summer. Mike. Hello. <laughs> this is Nick channeling Scott. Hi, Mike. How are you? <laughs> and finally, over here on my left, the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show 149. Our man, Rob Arbiter. Hello, everybody. That's, That's it. Different. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a normal hello. Hello, Mike. Hey, everybody. Hello, Mike. Hey, hey guys. Go. First of all, I just want to tell you this is show 149. And second of all, man, it's, it's good to be back. I've, I've literally missed podcasting. And we had to take a little bit of break. I had to deal with some stuff. And I just recently posted the shows that we did before. But it's, oh, so it, it doesn't seem like we took such a break. Well, at yeah, some point, it seems like we there's just a blaring gap in right. <laughs> in between 146 and 147. Got um, it. But um, but no, it's good to be back. It's good to see all you guys. Um, we got gobs to talk about today. Well, I mean, let's just get started. Tons of stuff has happened. Um, a few things that we want to talk about right off the bat. Um, let's talk Apple for a second. Um, and the latest over at the developers conference, there was iOS 8 and there was Yosemite. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But the first thing I want to talk about is what happened before that was when Apple um, bought Beats. And I don't get it. Bobby, can you help me out here? I mean, for $3 billion, the excuses that they say that they said, I mean, Beats, the headphones are not that good. They're okay, but they're way overpriced and they're just not that good. So it, it and they can come up with their own headphones, right? And you know, their their music sharing service didn't have a ton of subscribers. I mean, Apple could have easily come out of the gate and just piggybacked on iTunes. I mean, what's going on? See, I don't believe they bought it for either Beats Music or Beats Electronics. Okay. I think they bought it for Jimmy Iovine. And the reason why is Tim Cook is a wonderful operations guy. Right. But he's not a visionary. Right. And between him and Jimmy Iovine, they don't have one Steve Jobs, but what they do have is they have something a little bit closer to Steve than they have right now. So I believe that that was the the play right there. Now, it turns out that um, Beats was actually in in pretty rough shape. If Apple would have waited a little bit, waited them out, they could have got it for nothing because Beats was actually on the verge of bankruptcy, which not a lot of people know. Really? Yeah. And what had happened was Beats was going gangbusters for five years when they had their deal with Monster. Monster was a distributor. Monster Cable was their distributor and also their manufacturer. So when the deal ran out, what Beats did in a fit of hubris, I think, they took the distribution back. They did it themselves in-house as well as manufacturing. 
And they weren't good at it because they had no experience. So right. all of a sudden, they had a lot of inventory on the shelf, and it was slow moving out, and it was slow for them to get paid because suddenly it's just like a record deal. You know, if you only have one record and you go to an indie, you're never going to get you know, your, your money. Right. But if you have a whole catalog, then, you know, you have more leverage. Well, this is what happened with them. So anyway, they're on the, the verge, and they started to troll out for money. And what ended up happening was they got the Carlisle Group interested, and Carlisle Group came in for $325 million in cash and $200 million line of credit. And Dre and Jimmy put that money directly in their pocket. They cashed out, which meant that the the company was still teetering on the edge. How did the Carlisle Group feel about that particular... uh... Well, they feel okay now because they got their money back and more. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) <laughs> but and that's why I think they, it couldn't have gone through the the scrutiny of Apple uh, without them knowing this. They, it couldn't have. That's why I think that they're after Jimmy, and they think that there's something. And, and you know, they get Dre, and I don't know how important see, he's going to be, but that, I think that's what it is. See, that was my my gut feeling was was this was a move out of desperation on Apple because they don't have some magic and they don't have magic. And if you look at their products, there's not the magic that was there before. I mean there's there's incremental, you know, updates and things like that. But the actual magic right now I'm shopping for new hardware. Of course, when am I not shopping for new hardware? But Literally, to see what's happening on other platforms with other manufacturers and then to see what's happening with Apple, it's, it's, you can just tell there's this, there's this void. There's this gap. Um, I've been reading some articles that some people think you know, Apple's peaked. It's not like they're going to ever you – know, it's not like they're going to go down and out. But the, the magic of Apple when, – when people don't want to work for Apple because they're not the cool company and want to work for like a Google, it's – it's it's teetering. You just see you see it teetering. You, well, you know? know what I what I thought. Uh, 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 we do a lot of Microsoft work as well, and I saw um, Surface Three with the keyboard. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, after when I use Outlook a lot and Excel a lot and stuff like that, and he was telling me that their goal is to actually get rid of the laptop from their perspective and to use a tablet with a keyboard interface. That nice but it's a laptop. Together. It's a thin Which laptop. No, no, but, yeah. but, but, it's, but it's a laptop with no storage and no But it's, it's, it's a lot lighter. It. It's just the way you use it. But anyway, my iPad can't do the stuff that I saw the Surface 3 can. And I have to admit, you know, I've been using my tablet less and less, but I use my laptop more and more. But then all of a sudden, if I see something that could be a tablet or a laptop, I have to admit, it's given me a little pause to go, what an interesting device. I still like the Mac apps. You know, I see my wife's got a Samsung Galaxy. Yeah. Kind of a cool phone. It's a great one. So I'm sitting there going, wow, I wish my iPhone was bigger, multitask correctly, yada, yada, yada. And so there's, I, I do agree. I think that Apple is not uh, uh, leading the pack. Yeah. They lost at least a year. Yeah. Yeah. I think they lost more. You know, I, I truly am – you know, hardware independent. I will go with whatever hardware will suit my need. I, uh, you know, I, I'm a, 
I'm a fanboy, an Apple fanboy when they're doing good. I, I go PC when I have to. Right now, as I'm shopping, I'm leaning towards PC. I'm leaning, I like the touch interface. I like touch with music applications. I like touch as a musician. Um, it, it just makes a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm just wondering why Apple hasn't even looked at that. And, and yes, you have the iOS iPad, and that's awesome. Believe me, they, hands down, I would rather have an iPad than any Android device, um, even though I have some Android devices. Just creative, you know, creatively, well, the the applications on an iPad are just amazing. But there's just there's a little bit of spark that's that's lost, and I think they're behind the eight ball. And you know, this could all change tomorrow when they come out with some holographic doodad or something or another. But but right now, you know, with this. The beats and everything, it just looks like they're, they're looking for some magic. They're looking to, to buy some magic. And I'm surprised they didn't, you know, at, the, at their June meeting, that they didn't talk anything about a new iPhone. Yeah, the iPhone 6, which will be, you know, a larger, a larger well, that's size. Well, that is what's theorized. Yeah. But they, I mean, we all thought the iPhone 5 was going to be something, and it was pretty much just an iPhone 4. Yeah. With, a, with an operating system that nobody was really all that excited yeah. about. Worst battery life. Yes, worst battery life, and everyone was kind of like, eh. so it's weird. I, I with all the Apple products, I have to admit, I feel like I'm a little behind. Hey, uh, Scott, have you tried plugging in a Bluetooth keyboard to your iPad? Have you ever worked with it? Uh, I time? have. You know, the problem is, is now, I mean, Outlook and all the software is starting to become useful on mm-hmm. iPad through a subscription type service. Yeah, but it's really not about. Yeah, and I've got a little Logitech keyboard that goes with my yeah. iPad and all of that. But the other one just looked like it was more like what my laptop does. I use my my Air. The reason, in some ways, my Air, my Mac Air, I use yeah. way more than my tablet sure. in everyday life. But it'd be nice to just have one, not both. I can never find a suitable keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard, to go with my iPad that I could actually work on. Yeah, it's a form factor. It's it's too small for grown-up size hands. But yeah. you know, you get. I mean, when I'm sitting in meetings and I can be using my iPad to do email and things like that, um, you know, it's really useful to be able to have it there. But yeah, I agree. It doesn't feel like a nice big chunky. See, I think that's what happened. I think when the iPad came out, I think the Apple became so comfortable and and making the iPad. Um, be all that it could be, that they kind of lost a little bit of their way on their hardware. And that's why there was a big delay on the, on the new Mac Pro. And that's why, you know, basically all the laptops have been the, the same for, you know, a few years now. And Anybody have a, uh, a new Mac Pro? Are you using a one? new one? Yeah. No. We were new. just talking about that. Yeah. We, have two, right or, we have two or three do? of them. You do? Yeah. Um, doesn't feel significantly different in terms of running Pro Tools. You know, one of my guys was running on a Mac Mini while we were waiting for the waste. Are you talking when you got the trash can? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he was using a Mac Mini temporarily while we were waiting for the Wastebasket Mac to come. Wastebasket Mac came, and I don't know if it's just you know sort of more of a function of all of the additional software, the security software that's on it that we have to run, but he and I have not noticed an appreciable difference. Hmm. I'm are you using HDX or native? Uh, we are using native. No, we're using HD native, so everyone's got right. a, the Thunderbolt HD breakout thing going to an Omni. But if the software is so, not optimized to take advantage of a lot of the new Mac, you're not going to see the... Well, because yeah, what I, I've noticed is I've got like a 12-core and I'm using HDX2. Mm-hmm. And I find when I've done... I just did a couple of mixes for E3. And I had one session that was pretty much 500 tracks. We were maxed out. And I could see the system choking and, and 
just you can you know all of a sudden all my keystrokes were gone, and just little quirky things were happening. I'd be curious to take the Mac trash can and pull it to its limits to see if it to goes. See, sure, you know. I can tell you it's quiet as daylight and it's really small. It's well, wonderful. Well, I'll tell you what. Reasons. There's it's a it's a powerhouse though because my um, the Stitz brothers who have been on a podcast and I did an API video with them. They just re- retrofitted their um, studio with uh, a trash can Mac and. Um, Mark did a test where he got Ozone 5, which is a real pig of a plug-in, you know, just processor intensive. And he set up a track and he had everything running at max and duplicated it like 100 times. And he said it just barely nicked the – Pro Tools 10 or Pro Tools 11? We're using Pro Tools 10. Although, no, 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 that guy's running Maverick, so he is using Pro Tools 11. Yeah, and this was on Pro Tools 11, so – I, you know, I guess it all depends on what you do and stuff. But um, we don't we don't hit it hard enough. You know, we're not doing big film mixes. We're not doing five hundred track wide things. Yeah. So we actually that's a game. We but. haven't hit it hard enough to be able to see uh, where that you know where that's happened. But you know, with the with the but I do think that's a good example of of their innovation. You know, coming through like the old days because I think that's a fantastic you know. Um, computer and if i ever buy a desktop computer that's the one i would but you think about how many of those they'll sell versus how many iphones and ipads you know it's no i know it's amazing they still choose to even do it because it's no that's insignificant yeah that's what we say all the time it's like they do not they do not have to be in the hardware well they do just not that hardware yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true that's true anyhow i i just found you know then when ios 8 Came out, and I don't know if you guys saw any of the uh, demonstrations of that. It, it looks cool. There's some cool things, and um, and then Yosemite is coming out, and and that's kind of cool. The integration that they're going to have um, between the iPhone and your laptop, and it's about time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's two very cool things about iOS eight that I'm I'm really excited about. And I need to, you know, and this was just announced, so I'm going to need more time to really delve into it. But the two things that are really exciting to me is that they have created. No, there are three things. One of them is the fact that they've created um, a really easy pipeline for inter-app communications. So now let's say that you are making three different applications, right? Um, it makes it very, very simple for you to be able to generate credits in the game in one app and then be able to use it in another app that you've, that you've also made. And so that's a really nice thing. Um, along those lines, I'm very excited about the new programming language that Apple has released yeah. to replace Objective-C. Yeah. Um, and I think that's great. And then the last thing that I just heard about yesterday, and I don't have a lot of information to back this up, is that they are going to a software-based graphics rendering solution that they will be able to use with the hardware graphics, which will allow them you know, something like a tenfold increase wow. in graphics processing power on these things. So you know, if that's actually true, and I haven't seen it yet, but if that's true, I would be very concerned to be a uh, console manufacturer right now. Oh, uh, that's true. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of discussions on the consoles to say that they believe this is the last generation of consoles. Yeah, I believe that. That, it, you know, if you look at Asia, you know, with, with companies like Riot, League of Legends, and stuff like that, nobody's playing on, on hardware devices. They're playing online. And that's kind of with – and the processing and the graphics and – PCs. PCs are coming back. Sure. Gaming PCs are – Well, with, with, with uh, Stream. I mean that's, that's a big – it's basically the iTunes of gaming. Yeah. You know. Oh, you mean that's, Steam. Steam. Sorry. Steam. Yeah. Did I say Stream? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Steam with Valve by, by, by Valve. Yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden that's huge. Mm-hmm. No, that's – there's 
there's developers that are developing for PC again, you know, and I've always been a PC gamer. I've never, you know, quite got the whole. But even if you look, you know, when you look at what Mac's doing and what Windows is doing, right? Windows is doing a medium that says Xbox One, um, Surface, doesn't matter what you're working on. It's all interchangeable. It's all the same operating system. Your mobile, you know, your mobile uh, phone, and they're trying to make it where it doesn't, you know, it just, it, 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 it all works. And what's interesting is, if Xbox One catches on, it'll help sell Microsoft-style phones. We'll has, see if that. Oh, sorry, if I, that works. Has anything changed at Microsoft substantially since Balmer left? Did anybody? Yes. Know? Yeah. Um. Uh, I'm trying to think what I can say. Um, they've reorged the company. We'll just take the yes. <laughs> yeah, no, they've reor- yes, uh, they've reorged the company internally, and they have a very different outlook than what they've had before. I've they've actually they've developed uh, what they're calling the unified blue screen, where all of your devices <laughs> can crash simultaneously, <laughs> and your phone can crash your Surface, and your Surface can crash your Xbox. That is so funny. I can't, uh, Rob. Look at you. You used to be Mr. PC Man. I, mean, I know. You used to be. My love can be earned. Delete. Two, yeah. two things. One, right off the bat, um, Microsoft got rid of their dumb Microsoft points and went to a straight dollar system for purchases on Xbox, which is which was a big thing. You know, For the longest time, you had to buy Microsoft points, and it was some crazy equation to figure out what it was. And they said it was for accounting purposes, and everybody else – could do a fifteen dollar you know gift card, but not Microsoft. Well, now they're all based on you know on a dollar again. So that that's one change. Um, really quick, getting back to iOS eight, and one thing that's going to affect us as musicians, except for Rob, because he'll never do this, but is they're going to be doing. Uh, it's going to be supporting MIDI over Bluetooth, which is going to be really cool. And I found this out literally the day after I bought the Apollo MIDI over Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like great. The next version, I'm gonna have this for free. But yeah. it, but it's pretty cool. I've used it, and it's a great if you want to sync up two devices and not have to have any cables or anything, and not have to go Wi-Fi. It's amazing just to be able to boom, boom. They're running. Their but have they, have they updated the MIDI code so it's more than 128? Uh, I mean, have they have they high res the resolution? MIDI no. is still MIDI, MIDI whether is, it's over yeah. USB or anything. Yeah. MIDI is MIDI. MIDI is always going to be MIDI if they make. I always it, thought that was supposed to be know. like MIDI two. Yeah, or- it was developed a long time ago, and no one adapted it. Yeah, I don't know the full story, but there was a MIDI two spec a long time ago. So the guy who creates five pin DIN plugs is not. <laughs> he still has. Anymore. He well, still has. Is- there's not much in the way of MIDI cables and MIDI connectors. It's all over USB and software and stuff. But although the modular systems are coming back and. It, it, Hardcore, and they have a lot of CV to MIDI and things like that. So. Well, and I have to tell you because you just said something that was true until this week. But I have actually, because I've been working so much out of town, most of it in Austin, I finally had to build myself a portable rig where I could get real production work done, not just basic stuff. So I actually did it on have, an iPad. <laughs> well, I bought an iPad. I bought a you new bought one an iPad with 128 gigs wow. of RAM, and I have been loading it up with stuff. And I have not lost my way or uh, changed my stance on any of this stuff. But I have had to become more portable lately. I've been doing a ton of production work in Austin, and it has to be real production work where I'm actually writing and producing and arranging. And uh, for a long time, I'd been doing rough tracks there and then bringing them to LA to finish. But I actually needed to get real work done. So I built myself MacBook Pro with Pro Tools 11. And I got uh, an Apollo 
Duo. Yes. The Thunderbolt one, yep. which is awesome. I bought myself an iPad Air with 128 gigs of RAM, and I got an Apogee Duet for yep. that. Yep. And then I got this little interface. I forget what it's called, but it's a MIDI interface that works with the MacBook or the iPad, and you can hook it to both of them, and they can communicate with each other over it. So you can get MIDI on both, or they can talk to each other, including sharing audio. Do I you may, know? I may cry. Actually, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Rob Armstrong <laughs> no, no. has joined. Let me finish. <laughs> let me finish that. And wait, and yet there's more. <laughs> well, let me finish Keep because going. what Once this has revealed galaxy, to me, far what, far away, what this has revealed to me is that my thought about the iPad being a toy is absolutely true. It is an amazing sound creation tool, and it is a gadget that I use to get sounds out of. Sometimes there is no replacement for the DAW. I have. Cubase, Nuendo, and Pro Tools on this rig. There is no chance, and I have all the iPad sequencers and stuff now too. There's no chance that they're being replaced with the iPad anytime soon. But it's like I thought. It's a fun little toy for generating sounds. But You know what? Just the fact that you have it, that's fine. You don't have to love it. <laughs> well, no, I do love it, but I love it for what it's right. lovable for. But you know what's really not, I mean, even as silly as uh, if you want to control Spanner, for those people that use Spanner, yeah. now all of a sudden you've got a touchscreen panner built in and you've got VR control. And actually, uh, a lot of guys are using that. And it's a very viable um, uh, replacement for having a panner. Yeah. No, well, that's true. And there's more. And okay. yet, there's so more. the other thing is I wanted to have some, some hardware to be able to play with because I'm a very tactile musician. Right. I like to be able to play keyboards and stuff. So I picked up one of those Teenage Engineering OP1s. Have you ever played with that? Yes. Thing? It's crazy weird. Yeah. They have some quality control issues, I will say, but I finally got a good one after a few tries. Uh, so if you buy one of those things, it's the world's coolest toy. Just make sure it works uh, when you get it. I don't it. know what that is. It's a little the tiny o- keyboard about a foot wide. It's uh, like a little mini workstation. It's oh. a toy, but it's an amazingly powerful okay. uh, production toy. Well, yeah, I mean, it has some cool sounds. It's, 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 it's the CZ 101 of the day. It's a... Ah. It's a synthesis toy. I it's mean, a $700 toy. I mean, it's not cheap. They're no, not it's, inexpensive. It's like an $800 toy. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, not cheap, but, but it's a gadget. Old. No, it's not. <laughs> it's an amazing gadget, though. And like the iPad, it has some amazing sounds. And it has a complete recording system in it. I'll bring it to show you guys next time if you haven't seen one. But um, the other thing I picked up is Native Instruments Machine, the little workstation controller. Right, because right. I've been trying to find different workflows. And in the old days... I used to try every single workflow that came out, and I found myself in the last few years getting used to the way I work and just not experimenting so much. And a lot of the music I'm doing now is very pop-oriented, and I need a way to generate tons of uh, drums and weird sound effects and do all sorts of you know weird gated synths and all the stuff you'd expect in pop music. And I can do it all in software, but uh, I asked around a lot, and I had some friends recommend that I check out the Native Instruments machine. And as an ecosystem, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's not just a drum machine controller, even though that's what it looks like. Right. It's a complete environment for loading synths and doing your mixing and, and special effects and stuff. It's it is a, amazing. It's a, it's a good VST wrapper for Pro Tools. It's amazing. And it works great in Pro Tools. And so I actually got two of them. I got the big one for the studio. Oh, the studio. And I got, I got the studio for the studio. And then I got the little one called the Micro. Right. Uh, so I could put it in my luggage. And last week, actually, over the last 11 days, I've been in seven cities. So I've gotten to take all of the stuff out of my carry-on bags at every airport uh, for the last couple weeks. That has not been fun. But I'm carrying everything now. So you're not using Easy Drummer, too? No, I like Easy Drummer, actually, but no. No, the sounds that come with the machine, it's all you'd ever need for a basic production. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that 
Yeah, I don't think an iPad is going to ever replace your your computer, your DAW, in that type of a setup. Well, not the current but, generation. Exactly, but maybe down the road. But just the fact that you have it and you've incorporated it in, I think just you'll see. As that a synth and as a as a little sound generation toy, it's really cool. Yeah, because there's some stuff that that's going on, like Curtis and things like that, where you just they don't have a PC equivalent of it. They don't have a Mac equivalent. So of you it. get your sound out, you record it into your DAW, yes, and then you forget about what generated yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But you know what? That's that's half the battle. And Rob, I, I will cry later. Okay, I'm, I'm so proud of you. There, well, are, as little, I was, there are little hearts <laughs> that are currently floating around Mike's head. For this as I was standing in the Apple Store, I was thinking, oh, the amount of grief Mike is going to get. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, you know what? To the fruit side. No, I'm, it's just, vindication is just a lovely, lovely feeling. You know? When actually, <laughs> truth be told, the main reason I got the iPad was so I could beta test – or not beta test. So I could test the software I write. On it because my web stuff has to work on an iPad and I had no way to test it. Well, so that was the original incentive. But then once I had it, I thought, let's go crazy. I, I need to look up. I'll remember it for next time if you don't know. The, that company that makes the MIDI interface, because there aren't that many MIDI interfaces anymore. It's sort of an outdated thing. But this company makes one that works with the iPad and the Macs. Yeah, I wonder what that is. And lets them talk to each other. It's really cool. And it passes digital audio between them because that's another thing. If I'm going to use something like the iPad as a synth, right. I need a high-quality output. I don't want to be coming out of the little headphones. Well, the Apogee, the Apogee stuff. Yeah, the Apogee is good. But this, with this thing, it can go digitally right into the Mac. You don't even well, have to – Why out. did you buy an Apogee and a uh, – Apollo? Uh, Apollo. The Apogee for the iPad and the Apollo for the Mac. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Because there are times when I need them to be completely separate. And the Apogees sound really good. And the, and the uh, you got the duet, right? And the duet, and then the quartet is even is even more amazing because it gives you multi ends and stuff. It's not, it's also really expensive. Yeah. Really I was trying cool. to think. This all had to go in carry on luggage. Yeah. So I'm now at the airports. I am seven of those plastic bins, and I have it down <laughs> to an art. Wow. I can do it in about a minute. I have it down to uh, an art. <laughs> It's pretty funny. The TSA people, actually, yeah. when I came back from Austin last week, they stood in a line in awe of all of this crap that I had. With all your miles, don't you have uh, pre-TSA screening? You know, I only think of signing up for the TSA pre when I'm at the airport. And then I get home and I forget about it. I you, need to sign up for it. You, you should get it for free, though, from uh, after you reach a certain level of miles. Oh, you can get it for free? You should uh, now, for me, it's just automatic. It, it happens. I never asked for it. It just happened because of... Did you, you sign know, up for it once? No. My mileage level, it just happened. My problem is I have miles on so many airlines, but I don't have a ton on any one airline. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to sign up for it, though, because every time I take those seven bins out of the pile, I think, oh, I really should You won't should have to do it, yeah. yeah. That's... See, that's awesome. That's the kind of stuff that we could talk about all night was portable setups because that's mm. just the reality of production nowadays. Well, oh, nowadays. I, oh, sorry. Go on. What do you use for speakers? Uh, I'm often working with uh, in-ear monitors, but I have – there are speakers at the places where I'm going. Like in Austin and New York, I have speakers. So what do you use for in-ears? I have – what are they? They are Shores. Okay. 315s, I think. I think that's what they are. I'm not so – I'm never doing critical mixing while I'm on the road. Uh, any critical mixing I come back to L.A. for. 
But you know, you can just like anything else, you can learn how to critical mix on. on no, you can't. You yes. need good speakers. Let's no. not have that no, conversation no, 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 no. again. No, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not <laughs> we did that conversation once. I'm just saying. You know, if you're really used to the sound of your telephone, you can mix them. I just don't believe in that. <laughs> no, once you get a certain level of of quality of a headphone, you can. I'm not. You know, you don't may trust not headphones want... for a final mix. That's all I'll say. Well. I have a cool question for you. <laughs> it, it, talking about critical speakers, because actually I'm in the midst of uh, changing a couple things up. Yeah, I was just in Scott's room. You, your place looks like Speaker Warehouse right now. I know. Um, <laughs> what is the deal? Monday, well, you know, Monday, I've, Monday. I've got LSR32s with a Bryston amp. Um, I've, uh, but they're set up with a Infinity Baffle wall, so I get 3dB higher on the on the wall. So it's very theatrical. It's a beautiful sound. I actually have three subs. And and it's a very it sounds like a dubbing stage. It sounds like a beautiful theater. Okay, um, when I jump to video games, and I'm trying to do something different, I said, "All right, you know, I need to do it." And the problem is, I had so much low end that it's just not real. The translation doesn't make any sense. So I'm now going, "Okay." So I've been playing around some of the new JBL smaller speakers, and I love uh, some Personas, the the little sixes on those. Yeah, uh, and they're great bang for the buck, but. In looking at, you know, whether it's the Atoms or looking at Dynes, if you had a stereo and LCR setup that you wanted to, A, be very high quality, but be able to translate. I love the Equators. The Equator D5s, they're really small, they're 5-inch. I love them. I the, new, the, one, the, the new ones with the little... Still concentric. I've been mixing on them for about a year. That's all I use. They're great. Wow. Yeah. Those are the little cheaper ones, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're three ninety nine a pair or something, but they're wow. they're fabulous. Well, direct from the manufacturer, but uh, they, they're they're fabulous. I've, I use uh, I f- f- uh, let's see when I was at Activision, I had a five dot one Genelec set Genelec surrounds. Never really, never really did it for me. I love my Genelex at home, you know, the old wood ones, the, the wood cabinet ones, the metal ones. They they never really sort of lit me up. I had a pair. Did of, you play the M40s, the new ones that that look like the little upside down U's? Mm-mm, I haven't had a chance to listen to them yet. Um, had a pair of Adams, the S3As that yes. I used for Guitar Hero mixing. Yep. They were great, but they were. It was sort of the same thing, Scott. They were way too good, and they were way too big for the space. They weren't going to be doing anything that was going to translate in the real world to what people were really going to be hearing this stuff with, you know, in their living rooms, right? So I have now settled on Dynaudio BM6As for everyone, and they're great. They're fine. And then uh, I've got a Avant Tone uh, in my room, and another <laughs> friend has one too. So basically I go back and forth on the Omni between listening on the Dynes and then hitting the Alt button and listening to what it sounds like as a little mono you know, mid-range mix. The Dyne has a Mark III coming out that I'm interested to go, what's the difference between Mark II and Mark III? And I, 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 I'll let you know when I know. It's one more. Yes. <laughs> it's three. <laughs> it's... It's new. I must buy it. It's fifty percent better. Now, for the equators, and I, I like them. It's kind of like for something small. You, you know, it's hard. Also, is yeah, they're they're, they're fine. No, 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 and they were they were actually kind of nice. I also want to hear something that makes me go, "Oh, I love this." Just kind of that makes you go. It makes you purr a little bit. Yeah. That hear full full range. Well, they have an eight D eights as well. Yeah. Did you, but the base though looks like a giant washing machine got moved inside. Have you seen that thing? It's 
like four foot by four foot by four foot? No, it shouldn't be. We're not talking about the same thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe it's yeah. different. I tell you what, though, I got a pair of at home. I got S three A's. I love yeah. my S three A's. They're fantastic. And then for reality, I go to the uh, BX BX five A's. The little the little. Uh, oh, the M audio. The little M audio. I mean, because they to me have a really good representation of a consumer. Speaker. Now, when you have the S3As, though, one of the things I was always concerned because they got that ribbon tweeter on it is that you know, I'm so used to the KRK, the Genlex, the Dines that have a tweeter that has a little snap and a little whack to it. Do you find that's the same kind of sound on the Atoms? Do you still have that clarity cool. on the high end, that sizzle, well, or not really? See, I mix on Genlex eight hours a day at, at, uh, at Trailer Park. So I right. mix in there on Genlex. It's a different and, – and Nick can tell me – it's a different translation of your high end. In some ways, it's a little smoother and a little faster I found. Um, sometimes the Genelex can get you – can, you can get them harsh yes. pretty, pretty quick. You yeah. can go from zero to harsh. And on the, on the Atoms, you it, – it doesn't get harsh but you know when you're pulling too much high end because it just you – know, it just – It'll just start cutting you right here without that harshness, if you know what I'm saying. You yeah, know? That, I have heard a, a couple of guys that are mixing on them that said they liked it because they didn't get ear fatigue. Yeah, they didn't have that kind of. They're beautiful, and you don't have to mix at a. You know, you don't have to be loud on them. I, I don't find I can be inspired. You know, some speakers sound really good, and you get you know inspired. Actually, Genelex, right? You pump some some you know some volume through a Genelec with the sub rocking and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool, you know? Um, but as long as they're set up right. I've said that before. Yeah. yeah right. Genelecs exactly. are amazing, but they have to be set up. No, right. you're absolutely right. Um, but, you know, I find, and maybe it's because it's, it's on my house, so I can't really rock it out as loud as I can. But, when you've heard, um, when you've done stuff on the S3A and then you do something on something else, is your, is it just like night and day or do you kind of go, yeah, kind of, I thought I thought that the S3As were so big and they were so rocking and everything just sounded so awesome when you turn up the volume with them a little bit that uh you know it's a wonderful sexy thing to listen to and enjoy. I'm not sure that unless I had a bigger space and they were you know How big was your space? Like, oh, this it was a, it was a typical, you know, it was a typical video game style recording room. It was maybe 14 by 10 or something. Yeah, my space it was at way home way too small for them. They got my space a little bit bigger. It's like 12 a, by 12. Yeah, the A5s I think are a much better choice for a regular size room from Adam and those are really wonderful sounding speakers too. Yeah, my room is about 28 feet long. Then then the S3As would be great. I mean, they're beautiful, huge, sexy, awesome-sounding things, but it really depends on what it is that you're that you're trying to do. If you want to listen for pleasure through them, they're fantastic. I will say the one thing about the Atoms that – and, you know, they've had – now they have the S3AX or something or like via, that. Or yeah. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. But the S3As, the bass is, is the weakest. I'm rocking a sub with it because if you don't have the sub with it, it's just – they're not the most inspiring. The Adams? Yeah, the Adams. And do you need the Adams sub or can you send somebody else's sub? Um, I don't know. I only have the Adams sub, so I don't And you have an LCR or a stereo? I have a stereo. Yeah, this is just pure stereo stuff I do um, at my house. And then I just, for reality, I check between the the BX5As and then I just go back back to the Adams. Right. You know. And let me tell you. Playing Battlefield Four, rocking through Adams. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. I'm just telling you right off the bat. 
<laughs> you can hear Nazis getting shot 500 feet away. Well, hey, I'll tell you what. Oh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to pick it up. We're going to talk a little bit about vinyl, and we're going to talk a little bit about distortion. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about mixing with headphones for Rob. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's all I do. <laughs> and you know what I do? They have uh, you have the in-ear monitors for left and right, and then there's a subwoofer suppository. <laughs> for when you really need to feel the sound. Whoa! All right. Whoa! <laughs> we'll catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking about how you can mix on headphones despite what Rob <laughs> says. But You can, <laughs> Rob can't. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, I mean, if you don't care what your mixes sound like, absolutely. <laughs> Go for it. Just make sure all your listeners have the same headphones. <laughs> you know what? I am not even going to try to take Rob on. <laughs> oh, I'm come learning. on. <laughs> I do I'm all my mixing on Radio Shack badged <laughs> earbuds. There That's you right. go. Yeah. All the... All I have to do is just keep quiet. He's like, on a roll today. so And yeah. like two years from now, I'm Rob, just saying. Rob's going to come back and go, you know, I was flying. I had to mix this project in the airplane. So I had to mix <laughs> on it my headphones. iPad. That's right. If I ever say that, the end of that story is going to be, and it didn't get finished because of it. <laughs> and I mixed it. It was great. Listen to this. <laughs> you just got to know the rules. You got to know that your vocals are going to be a lot louder than you think they are. So, you know, just Yeah. Rules. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> anyway, anywho, um, first before we uh, before we dive back into it, I got to say a few things. Number one, um, you know, we posted two shows up, and some of the people have already listened to show one forty seven, one forty eight, and. We got some great listeners. Um, I've got some really good words of encouragement um, for show 147. Talked about my dad and you know, he was, you know, some of the health problems and things like that. And just, just some really great people out there. And just want you guys to know that I uh, really appreciate it. And you're, you're awesome and your sensitivity and things like that. And for those of you that are, are going through similar things and, and things like that, um, and just about relationships in general, you know, we all – to do audio, to do anything creative, and it's not just audio now that I think about it. You know, to pursue your creativity, there's there's this balance, you know, and, and you have to, you know, certain things you'll have to give up depending on, on how far you're going to take it and where you're going to go and what you're going to dedicate to. So just, just keep that in mind as you go through life and you're trying to balance relationships and and jobs and monies and things like that. None of this stuff comes easy. There's sacrifices all along the way. There's sacrifices to get to where we're at. Everybody around this table has sacrificed something. You know, whether it's you know myself. You know, I've sacrificed having my private jet because <laughs> I'm buying gear all the time. But I, I literally, I have to buy the gear. I have to be into these things because. Because of my job, if I'm going to be, you know, a senior audio mixer, if I'm going to be a, a tech leader and and need to know these things, then I need to make the investment and make the commitments to do it and to spend the time. And and so everybody has their own little, you know, cross the bear in in their production. So just want to encourage you guys that just you know, just keep it keep it level, keep it even, and just know, you know. And if you're giving up relationships and everybody says your music sucks. 
maybe you shouldn't be giving up those relationships, you know. So we're Yeah, all, we've had that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> they may be right. Just know they may be right. Yeah. But I do I just want to encourage people, you know, everybody, you know, you don't find too many creative people that are just that are like, hey, you know, I don't have any problems and life is great and I'm being creative. I don't know anyone who doesn't have any any problems. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that exists. That's no, not part of the human condition. But especially creative people, it seems like a lot of times a lot of creativity comes through through pain and through angst and and just through life and lessons and things like that. Especially good. You know, my two cents on that is when you find a relationship that you want to commit to, you need to let that person understand things that interest you and the businesses that you're in, the dynamics of those businesses. And before you get too far into the business, you need to uh, have that person understand that they understand the dynamics of that business. So if you're on tour a lot, you're going to be out of town a lot. If your location's sound or working musician, you're going to work on holidays. You're not going to be with the family. New Year's Eve, you may not be home with them. You might be gigging in a band. There's a lot of dynamics, and I think that I've seen so many people through my years – who have been stretched and ripped and, and, and brought in many different ways. And I think what it comes down to is if you've got a dream and something that you want to do and you start doing it, uh, it's best to find somebody who could be compatible with that. Because everybody I know, the reality is if you bend to their will, then you'll hate them because they're the ones that kept you from doing what you do. Yeah. Or they'll just get pissed off and bored, come up with another life, and that relationship will soon end. So it's good, you know, it, it, it's sometimes it's good when you are busy to find another person who's got their life and their career just as important as yours that they can, can build upon that. And that seems to be most of the people that I know who have had long, fruitful relationships have worked out well. But when one person's going, why are you never here? Yeah. And then that's the wrong relationship. Yeah, there's a certain amount of understanding you need to have. and. Can't say it any better than that, Scott. You nailed it, and then and, and we'll move on. So. And I, well, also, one thing for all those people that sit with computers, you know, one thing we're learning, and, and and especially as you get a little bit older, about every two hours, get up, walk around the block, sit back down, because they're having a lot of problems now with a lot of people. You know, one of my uh, great sound designer, uh, uh, I won't say who yet, but um, had a stroke, and. Um, it's a problem. You know, the pro- we, we work long hours, and the better you are, the longer you sit. So I don't care if you're an engineer at a recording studio doing it day in and day out, if you're a computer programmer, a sound designer, or a mixer. For your own health, get up, walk around the block, sit back down. You should do that two, three times a day, and it, it will uh, do a lot. It's great advice. So Great advice. Wow, I'm trying to figure out a segue. <laughs> there is no segue. Sometimes in life there is no segue. <laughs> hey, one thing I want to talk about, and we'll start this conversation right now, is um, I want to talk about vinyl. Vinyl is making a huge comeback. I mean, it's been on a roll, steady roll, but you know, now you go into places like vinyl tablecloths, vinyl, vinyl records, uh, you know, shower curtains, vinyl records. I was over at Fry's the other day, and I was at uh, Fry's out in Anaheim. And I walked down this one aisle and they had two sections of records that they were selling. And they had about nine turntables that they were selling. 
I remember when fries had no turntables that they were selling. And so you kind of start seeing, you know, things things happen. And then last night on um on the Tonight Show, Jack White was on and he showed his new record and what he's doing on his new record, which is some cool things like the label they embedded, you know, they did a track on the label so you can play the label for like a bonus track. And and one side of the record goes from outside in and the other side of the record goes from inside out. And some songs have two grooves and you can have if you depending on where you put the 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 needle, you can have one one song or one version of the song, or if you put it on the other groove, you have another version of the song, and it's, then the grooves converge. It's but like every single toy. well, it's like every single seventies mastering <laughs> trick all in one record, yeah, basically. And literally, but you know what? But it's kind of cool. It's like Jimmy was getting all excited, and I was getting all excited. I was like, man, I got to pick that up just for that experience. And it just made me think about vinyl and records and and how we're going back. And and I wanted to to kind of to jog though when you got a record player. That you no, but but here's the thing. A couple weeks ago, I went over to Mark. Martin's house because he wanted to show me his new vinyl setup because Martin got this you know record player and speakers and he put them on the floor just like the old days and and we sat there and he put on some records and it was awesome. I mean just the whole process of listening to a record. And but did you hear the clucks and the hiss and the clicks? The whole thing, the whole shebang. But it sounded great. It really it sounded really good. And but the main thing about it is is I could I immediately could see why this was a great listening experience because there was this whole process. When you listen to a record, there's this whole thing of you know getting the record out and you have the cover and you're looking at the notes and then you put the record on and you put the you know the needle down and you and start then you roll it. the joint on the cover. Then, of the record. <laughs> oh well, wait a minute! No, then you, you sit back and then you listen and you're you're taking some time and you're listening and it and you know what you can't can't fast forward. You know it's it starts at the top and it takes you through this musical journey. And so I'm thinking, is it final that we're loving, or is it really this process, the that, fetishistic process that we're of, that we're missing? Is that what the appeal is? And that's why I wanted to talk a little bit about about vinyl. And I wanted to start with you, Bobby. Um, do you know anything about this resurgence and and why it seems to be just on a steady roll? It's not like it just started yesterday, but it seems to be just picking up more and more momentum. I just finished the third edition of the Mastering Engineers Handbook, so I went back around and talked to all the mastering engineers, all the, the major guys. And one of the things became clear was that vinyl is keeping them not only busy, but way busy. Anybody that had a lathe was booked several weeks in advance, and it turns out that all the pressing plants are booked for months out. They're, they're at capacity. And then I talked to Doug Sachs, who's the godfather of mastering, and he was telling me that there was a company, and God, I can't remember the name of it, but they sold over a million turntables last year. Holy smokes. And it turns out that a lot of them went to places like Urban Outfitters, where you would never expect you know, vinyl or record players or anything to go. And it just goes to show you that there's that generation, that I guess mostly millennials that are there, I think, in that store. And... That's who's buying it. Now, it turns out that it's only about 3% of the overall market, but it's gone up from less than 1% in the course of four years. That being said, it's just also like CDs where 
we can't track them all because there's a lot of records that are being bought and sold that aren't being tracked on SoundScan. So we don't know the exact number that's actually out there that, that people are buying. But what it does seem is, yes, it's a new experience, and it's a new experience for 18 to 25-year-olds that they're <coughs> digging for the first time. There is actually also – I hate to hog the mic on this, but there is no, actually – hog the mic. <laughs> something um, three, four, five months ago on one of my blogs. I don't remember which one, but it was something that I had reposted from The Guardian in, uh, in London – and what it was was a 22-year-old hears vinyl for the first time. Here was this 22-year-old girl who was – her boyfriend took her to a place, one of his friends, that had a vinyl set up. And they put something on and she was fascinated. And then all of a sudden they started to put more and more and more on and she was hooked. She was changed. And she said she'd never heard anything like it. Or had never been through an experience like that. And it just goes to show you that once you're exposed to it, in fact, you do find that there's something that, that's attractive, something that you can't find in, in the normal listening, everyday listening experience that we have. Right. So, you know, my whole question, again, was what you just asked. Is it the listening experience? Is it the sonics? I think it's, it's a combination, but, but it's certainly the listening experience because, as you say, you can't fast-forward or rewind, and, you know, it's not random access at all. So is, is it going to take over the business? No. Is it going to get that much bigger? Maybe a little, yes, but I think it's not going to go away either. CDs will probably go away and downloads will go away long, long before vinyl will go away. Now, do you think with the CD, you you basically get some of the same experience, except the CD you can fast forward, but you you know you it, it, well it, you don't get the liner notes you you, right. you know yeah, you, don't you, get. You, you do get them but they're difficult to read and and it was a different experience writing and laying out everything for a CD cover than for an album cover right. an album cover that there was well. People are winning Grammys for that. Well, they they win it for CDs as well, but there was some real art that was, oh, yeah. especially when the the, the albums that opened up. Oh, the gatefold ones, yes, yes, right. absolutely. And there was almost—I mean, yes, I missed that part. I don't, I don't know if I missed the sound, but well, it's been a long time, so I'd be curious to hear a vinyl since it's been a while since I've heard it. But I do miss the pictures. Something interesting that went that gave you more insight to the band and the music you're going to listen. The liner to. notes. Everybody would read the liner notes. I, I, you know, and again, it, people would buy vinyl. Sometimes they would buy a record just on the cool album cover or the fact that they'd read the liner notes. And say, "Oh, this is interesting. I'll buy it." Now, when does that happen with the CD? And it certainly doesn't happen with, with you know anything no. that's streaming. Well, online. you know what though, I will say with the CD, I you know, there's certain. You know, producers that I would look at and I'd go, oh, yeah, I, I like this guy. And I'd go, you know. But not from the artwork or the liner notes. I bet, no. Right? But for instance, back in the day, like Dan Huff, he's a good guitar player and, and he played a lot and a lot of really classic um, Christian albums and things like that. So I knew if Dan Huff was playing guitars on whatever album it was, it's like, oh, man, these guitars are going to rock, you know. You just, you don't, you don't get that nowadays especially with downloads and things you don't know who the musicians are if there are musicians there you know you don't know who the producer is and and so you know there's there's that whole aspect of the credits which is which is another thing on on records you know you had plenty of you know we found out about studios we found out about producers about engineers we found out about so much 
that we've lost. Uh, and, and let's face it, a lot of a lot of our history, our musical history that all, everyone around this table knows about, is from vinyl records. That's true. When I was um, in in the eighties and in the first half of the nineties, I had a progressive rock band. Uh, named episode and you know you remember what those progressive rock those roger dean yes album covers <laughs> close to the edge and fragile and all of those there was such a wonderful multimedia presentation about the whole thing and i was so excited when we released our first few records and we had you know we would commission a painter and we would make something that was beautiful and big and bright and psychedelic and it was wonderful because it was it was an entire encompassing presentation and there was just something so beautiful about handing somebody something that was of that size and you know this is my music this is my presentation this is our thing and the thing that i love about records is the fact that you have such a wider canvas to be able to paint on right you're not thinking about it on this granular level of you have one song and it's in there on shuffle in your in you know in your itunes playlist you have an entire presentation you've got you know whatever it is 12 minutes 14 minutes on one side and then you turn it over and you can hear the same thing on the other side and there's something so beautiful and unified about that it's a larger and more epic kind of way to be able to present your art i'll give you a couple other steps beyond that as well one of the things you're limited to 23 to 25 minutes a side because the noise would go up as it got beyond that and because of that, what would happen is you'd have to think really clearly about what the songs are going to be on each side, the beginning and an ending song on each side. It take a lot. It took a lot of thought, and that sequencing process also meant that you provided a better experience, listening experience, because you kind of had to. And it was also shorter. One of the things when I go back and I look at albums a lot i'm doing these deconstructed hits books and a lot of times it makes me go back and and look at how long an album is and one of the things i found out is most of the big albums the classic albums that we all have heard forever and ever and we all love they weren't long they're 35 40 minutes 45 minutes at the most most of them hover around the 40 minutes era you're right and that's a digestible bite. You can sit down, you can listen to that, or just think about a side, listening to a 20-minute side. Very digestible. Now when we get a CD, I venture to say most of them are way beyond 40, 45 minutes and or 50 minutes. And obviously you can put 76 and change, 76 minutes on change. And so many people wanted to fill that up because they could, and that's where we got all the filler. That You know what? That is so true. I never even thought about that, but you're right. Because you, and then if you had more than that, it was a double album. Again, what's the standard for an album? Ten songs. You think right off ten songs. Well, go back and look at your vinyl records. You're going to see seven and eight songs. Because some of those songs in the '70s were seven and a half minutes. Well, long, right? that's true. But even so, you're going to find even on the shorter ones, you're, you're hovering in seven and eight eight songs there. So there's two songs that isn't filler. Yeah. No. I'll tell you, another, another reason I think there's this amazing connection with vinyl when people get to hear it is that there's, a, there's sort of two levels of what's going on with the sound of vinyl. You have the sound of the vinyl itself and you have the sound of the music that the record is. And uh, there's like a 3D dimensionality to it almost, even if it's a really clean record played on a great turntable, like Dark Side of the Moon has really, really quiet passages. If you listen to it, you know, I used to listen to my original master recording on a ridiculously, you know, complicated turntable. 
and you'd be hearing the choir passages and the music, but you'd still sort of get a sense of the turntable and the, the stylus and the vinyl itself. And yeah. there's like this, even if it's the most subtle crackle or hiss or whatever, that is a different, it's almost like a 3D thing. That's at a different, that's on a different plane than the music itself. And, and it's like looking at a much more textured painting as opposed to something that's, that's without much texture. And I think that even if you don't realize that's what you're experiencing, there's a depth to a record that you just don't get with a digital representation of it. And it comes from the flaws in the vinyl, even if it's a great turntable. You know, one of my favorite records, and it's so funny that you say that, that I, I still – I think it's probably going to be the first record I buy when I – Get a turntable system. I loved listening to ELO out of the blue. Uh-huh. What a great just, record! Oh my god, just was great. I remember with headphones. I, I listened to it with the big old headphones uh-huh. that look like earmuffs that are giant. Like you were just got off work at the airport. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and oh my goodness, just the sound. Just it was truly. It kind of got me hooked on on music and audio and sense and stuff like that because you hear all these cool textures and it just brought you just to a different place and and you're right it's it's something that you couldn't get it on cassettes and it's back then at the day you know what i mean it's you couldn't get it in a track it was it was it was vinyl that was that was doing it it's really interesting would you now you're working with an act do you think they'll ever want to do some vinyl with any of their stuff um not for their primary audience but uh, maybe for remixes, we're still not sure. Because you can get like a four-color – I looked this up, four-color um, album pressed and everything except not the mastering. That's a separate charge for like seven fifty an album. You know, So you can get like but two – You've got to know your audience and know your demographic. Right. I mean it can be something you do for vanity if you just think it's cool to do. But if yeah. your audience isn't going to buy it, it's not a great business move. Don't forget, you also have inventory then. Yeah. No, it's a whole yeah. different – but still at the same time, I don't know. I, you know, the, the interesting thing, it, it isn't trivial because you can't just take your CD master and use that. And you find that two things will happen with mastering engineers. The, the easy way is they'll take the CD master and they'll lower the level about 3 dB and then cut from that. But if you're really going to do it the right way, you cut specifically for vinyl and, and you find that it, that most of the major acts now and, – and that's what's interesting. Every major act now cuts vinyl. That's part of the order anymore. When it comes into a mastering yep. house, part of the order is we want a vinyl master as well. And that, that's everybody. So here's the philosophical question that I have to ask along these lines then. Um, if – those original tracks were recorded digitally and then they were mixed digitally. Um, is it still kosher for them to be you know, transferred at the last moment to an analog medium instead? Are you losing something? Is it different than if you had recorded the record to 2-inch 24 and then mixed it to you know, a half-inch tape and then gone and used that as your, as your vinyl master or a copy of that as your vinyl master? Well, I suppose it is, but you know, again – when did the first 3D – was the 3M digital recorder, and I think it was like in 1977, right? Uh, 
And in fact, what we saw was uh, there is a big controversy. Okay, is it really analog? Is it digital? What is the record? That's right. And, and is it ADD? Is, is it, it DVD? Yeah, all that is stuff. It, yeah. and I don't think it mattered in the long run. That was all said and done. It was all well, marketing. And I think you could solve some of those problems with some of the great analog gear. Not problems, but if you want to warm up your sound. Yeah, this, a Macintosh. Put it through a Macintosh amplifier, well, and like you could just take your, you know, take your output. And uh, actually, we were talking about distortion. You know, some good distortion. You know, overload a nice piece of uh, analog gear and get a little, get a little fur on it. You know, that's there's just some ways that you can really warm up your uh, your analog. Re- I mean, your digital recordings. And I must be really old school because I I just can't get behind that. What warm up digital? I can't get behind adding distortion to anything except a a guitar. (laughs) A guitar, you know, played through an amplifier, which I see wonderful distortion. I really love it, and the more the better. But um, you know, I I just you don't do that in mixing. No, I was. It never sounds good to me. I I just can't make it work. You know, know, it's it's interesting because for me, I guess for what I do, it's all about saturation. Because, but it's not like. Like I would never use a guitar amp as distortion for what I do. It's too harsh, too much, too extreme. But like he'd say it starts with like a Waves L1, which reminds me of a distressor. All of a sudden it adds a little harmonic distortion in a kind of a pleasant way. It puts a little edge, a little snap to something. Now if you do it to a whole mix, it sounds like crap. But if you use it on elements that you just want it to cut through without adding EQ – but you wanted to give a little bit of harmonic change, it's a wonderful cut. I'll, I'll tell you, I just did a video for API by a producer engineer, uh, Josh Wilburn, and he was talking about how he likes to take his two bus and run it through some API 550Bs. doesn't change anything. It just, it just as he says, he, he you know, overloads the tad and it and it smooths out the edges. And it's true. It, 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 there's a certain thing about it, and not distortion as in, yeah, you know, but just you know, it's distortion, you know, but just it smooths out the edges. Some of those really sharp little peaks and trans just kind of kind of adds a little oof. To and it. you know, there's a there's I, a oh, go ahead. Finish. No, I was going to say, and it, and it actually works really well when you want to get a little warmth off off your iPad. You know, I've <laughs> I, I'm I'm serious. I've ran. I have an ATD, and I I take the output. And I run it through the ATD, and it's the best way to record it through the. It's like uh, running a cassette through a concert system, you know. <laughs> no, it's it's really you get a lot of beef, you get a lot of you get a lot of punch, and that analog just adds just adds a lot of width and a lot of punch to the. Uh, what, what, to used, what used to really bug me in the eighties, especially, was vocalists that would come in and say, "I want my voice distorted here." Put this this fuzz tone on my vocal, right. and for a couple of years, every single vocalist wanted a distorted vocal. And I'm going, I spent my whole career trying to get away <laughs> from that, and now everybody wants it. And I can understand, you know, yeah, it makes sense sometimes. But most of these guys are just saying, well, Peter Gabriel used it, or whoever did, no, you know, true. or but Trent Reznor. About- Trent Reznor was the one. Trent, I wanted to be just like Trent. Well, Trent did it already. You don't have to do it, right? But it goes way back. I mean, all the big Motown hits. You think about the lead vocals were often distorted. Yes, I mean, but but, but that by was unintentional, unintentional, in an awesome way. Yeah. Well, there wasn't but some of the cool gear that the color had a distortion had a, had a pleasing distortion on. Well, color, yes, 
color. Well, yes. like, I'm, I'm saying distortion for distortion's sake. Right. Which, which, no, I mean, one of, like, one of my favorite plugins is FabFilter Saturn, which is a multi-band distorter. But it can be saturation, it can distortion, it can be... And it's fascinating how much... If you want to just add like a little hair on something, exactly. um, it just does a really interesting job. So you may say, I don't want the low end distorted at all. I want to keep that roundness. But I want to take some of the mids and the highs and maybe a little saturation in the highs. Just distort a little bit of that mids to give it a little... Height. I guess I'm so old school. It would never even occur to me to do something like that. Yeah. I think another way is if you want to make a really interesting drum sound, right? You you get your drums, you know, you can, you know, take your overheads and kind of just... But you didn't take a little... 1176 in Infinity Mode or Distressor and that's adds all sorts of weird distortions. Yeah, you? yeah. I, I understand what you're saying there. But again, it still wouldn't occur to me to, to add to distortion at all. Like it's just not something that yeah. I, I got to, learned how I got, to do. I got rid of my two-inch machine a few years ago and did not feel sad about that at all. But what I still do have in my studio is an Ampex 440 um, uh, that can run at 15 or 30. And, you know, when I have rock songs in there, it's wonderful to experiment with taking the master and and basically strapping the Ampex across the two bus. And, you know, I'm not distorting it. I'm not, you know pinning the needles or anything but getting the sound of the transformers and getting a little bit of the roundness and the glue yeah. that happens yeah. from the tape it sounds great on electric guitar based rock stuff i don't do it all the time but when i do do it people really do like it yeah. you know what's pretty trippy have you tried uh, the uad studer plugin no okay i have what's, yeah what, what kind of blew my mind because i used to use all that stuff and you know whether it's 456 or 250 scotch 250 and and put in a, like uh, to be honest dialogue I'll get something that's really digitally, it's not recorded well, it's got this edge to it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put Studer Scotch 250, 15 Ips, I like the little mid-range bump. I put it through, and it's like, it's just, I go, I know that sound. That's that warm, round. That's a great idea. And it's a wonderful thing on vocals, on dialogue. That's really cool. I'm so going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) I have... It's oh. not like an LA two way where you, it's too much. This is subtle. It just takes all the hair off. It takes that that edgy little right. Ugh. I when I mix animation, right? Animation's all recorded in the studio, depending on what mic they use. Sometimes your dialogue is is just it's it's almost so sharp it can cut you. You know what I mean? You can just practically see those the the, the waveforms huh? as it's coming out and. And that's a great idea. It's a wonderful I'm compressor. For a, way, a way to just kind of. It's just a nice little compression thing going on. Even guns, you smash the guns into it. It gets sure. that splattiness, but it's really pleasing. Like, oh, I know this. Yeah, but see, you deal in distortion. I mean, I, that's yes. part I of deal with that's noise. Part I of deal your, with non fundamentals. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and my thing is, I've got to cut it through fundamentals. So I've got a hodgepodge of stuff. So the question becomes when, you know, with music that is so designy, electronic music and even film scoring music, if you want to keep a melody and to keep it simple and, and sparse, and, which a lot of good music is done correctly, but sometimes when you got to pollute it with so many other things like voices and sound effects and all that, how do you still keep it round? How do you still give it a depth of field uh, where it doesn't feel splatty and compressed and... And, that's, you know. that's a great point. And you know, the other thing is, is look, everybody has the same plugins. Everybody can buy the same plugins. If you start using some of these techniques, that's what's going to make you pop out from the pack. You know, that's what's going to make your mix sound a little bit different than this mix over here. Is when you start doing these little 
little tricks, these little tricks of the trades. You start, you know, using little pieces of Oops, gears. Oops, did I give something up? <laughs> it was like, no, no, keep it going. <laughs> I'm going to no, no. do a shout out for another, another plug in. The UAD stuff is awesome, but if people don't have the UAD hardware, um, big shout out to Massey plugins, their tape head, which I think is all of 75 whopping dollars American. Great sounding tape saturation plugin. I have absolutely used it for sound design to try to be able to get a little bit more girth and a little bit more weight out of a sound without just hitting it with a distortion or compressor or just turning up the volume. And you got the same thing with the Phoenix Crane song. I'm a huge fan of the Phoenix stuff. It just has a little mid-range in a real pleasing way or a little shimmer. You you guys are giving some great hints and tips because sometimes when you want to get something out of a sound, you don't always have to go – for your EQ, you don't always have to go to right. you know a graphic and you know boost 125 if you want to get some more punch or something. I mean, sometimes it's it's more than that. Sometimes it could be a little bit of saturation here or, or what you were talking about using the uh, the uh, UAD one. You know, I mean, there's just there's little things. It's not always EQ. There's there's other ways to do it, and sometimes you get better results than that. Wow, that was cool. Went to vinyl to a little distortion. By the way, on this distortion thing, um, digital distortion generally not good. is not good. It's not saying you don't hear it sometimes in weird musical electronic music or EDM stuff, but yeah, you don't want to peg that zero. <laughs> or people using plugins that like you know do bit decimation stuff, where you have something sounding like eight bit for you know for vintage something. Say vintage digital just sounds like ass. <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> Vintage digital just sounds like you know, that. Yeah. Like I loved, I lo- as a guitar player, I love distortion, but this digital distortion. Like what you say about analog distortion, I'm not way with digital distortion. It, there's just nothing pleasing. Oh, yeah, I agree. There's just there's, – yeah. there's just, Do you mean clipping? Do you mean just straight up? Yeah. I mean yeah. – yeah. I mean digital distortion, clipping, it's just – I mean some, some of it, you know, like even like we were, we were talking about TDM. TDM to me has always sounded distorted. But it had a nice kind of snap and a bite to it, which a lot of people and certain kinds of music really liked. But overall, it never had a roundness. Everything felt glassy. And the more you lost the fundamental, whether it be percussion or the more metallic you got with upper harmonics, uh, cymbals and stuff like that, it always, to me, I could hear the quantizing. I could always hear that, that metallic yeah. Yeah, yeah. glassy, quant- Pro Tools oh. sound. And then it's weird when we got the 32-bit and got out of TDM. I went, oh, look, this is nice. It's almost like there was this this sheen that kind of just stayed there, and there was little peaks and valleys, but you always heard this little thing that was all. You know, it's there. the same idea as vinyl, except with vinyl, it's the pleasing sheen, <laughs> and with right. digital, it's right. an pleasing no, sheen. But it's what? the same concept. They're absolutely, you're absolutely. But you know, what we should talk right. about. I don't know about Pro Tools level because I haven't used it yet. But for the next podcast. We should actually talk about metering because that's a really fascinating thing of, you know, some people go, no, I got to get all the bits and I got to smash it up there and upper mm-hmm. harmonics. And, and then do you do LFKS? Oh, LKFS? Oh, man. I can, we can do it. I, I am so well We'll have to bring Randy Coppinger am, to, to, to speak be on that one. But it would be unbelievable authority. Dialogue, but music people, yeah. online. You know, there's a whole new metering concept of dynamic range, dynamic range, averaging over meters, and what happens when you want to do dynamic stuff. Maybe not a pop record, which is a little more compressed, but like orchestral or something that's got big dynamics to it. How does that work? Metering. 
You want metering <laughs> next week <laughs> for the future. Stay tuned. <laughs> no, we can talk about that. Yeah, because we were over where I work, and we were we were comp compliant. You know, as soon as we had to be comp compliant, because I had done all the research, we were comp compliant. We started like. It was two years ago or maybe a year ago when you had to be comp compliant. And it was so funny because our first set of mixes, the clients kicked it back and said, said no, it's too quiet. You can't. You yeah. can't. Because they would be playing all the spots in a row and other houses would have these super loud ones and we'd be you know, comp compliant. Well, fast forward a few months, they come back to us. You know, Now we all you – know, the new <clears throat> specs state – you know, that everybody has to be calm compliant. It was like, see, we told you, you know? So, yeah. And that's what we're talking about, like the old vinyls and old records. You know, so much music now has been smashed, crashed, and it, it never goes anywhere. It just kind of keeps a beat. Right. And you got a beat for the three minutes that the music's on, and it doesn't go anywhere dynamically. Um, for me, one thing I liked about some of the progressive rock, you know, there was always, there was a buildup. Whether it was to the guitar solo, something, da, 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 da. Lots of dynamics. <laughs> yeah. God, you know, something where it was just like, it dynamically kept bringing you higher, higher, and higher, and it got you all excited rather than just laying down a Well, uh, it was the a, players a, a, that yeah. were, were playing dynamically. Yeah, right? it was rather way just, more of that because yeah. that stuff was compressed to hell, too. I mean, but, it, but it, it was the performances. What we do now is, in order to get dynamics, we add or subtract instruments right. that are basically playing at, you know, Pretty much the same level, same intensity, let's say. But back then, you know, the players were encouraged to play dynamically yeah. and to play with different intensities. Well, also, and the technology back in the day, you know, you could only mess with your bass so much before that little needle could <laughs> jump out of your groove. Yeah, you know? that's I right. mean, you could not send some of the the ultra low bass that we have now. I mean, 909s and 808s. Which is why some of the new know? technology is a little <laughs> yummy, you know? I mean, it's. Yeah. So know. it's all. You know, a little bit of everything is always good, you know? You can't just stay with one way. I mean, Rob's a perfect example with his new iPad. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, we're going to wrap it up. Rob is not a good example of anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. It's been really great. And uh, I just suggest, you know, if, if you've never heard a record and you want to do something different, um, go, buy a, go buy a turntable. Buy a record or two and, and, and take the journey because that's what it is really, right? I mean those records were taking you on a musical journey. You know, you're going from point A to point B. You're sitting and you're spending your attentive time listening to the music. Yep. And that's the most beautiful gift of what it is that those things it's are. It's awesome. All right. And, uh, and if you want to, you know, release your own vinyl, you know, disc makers. I think it's seven fifty for, you know, per each one. 200 for like 1600 bucks. Or go right to Rainbow Records. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you can do that too. All right. Well, hey, listen, um, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Um, it looks like our, uh, our server's all nice and good. We haven't crashed and uh, haven't been shut down. And um, so it's really great. Before we go, anybody working on anything? Rob, you working on anything? You uh, a about? lot of the same stuff, just still in progress. A lot of releases later this summer. How about you? Yeah, um, I just mentioned this on, on Bobby's podcast. I can finally talk about um, a project that's been um, 
very important to me for months and months, and it's finally out in the App Store, and that is Frozen Karaoke. It's an app that I was the creative lead on, and um, it allows you to be able to sing along with all of the songs from the Frozen movie with the original backing tracks um, against the video that's going along. So your little six-year-old girl is who knows Let It Go, you know, word yep. for word sings the whole thing and then you can play it back and it's you know her voice coming out of uh, Elsa's mouth instead and you can export it as a M4A and send it to people and it's absolutely wonderful. Really? Yeah, it's you know I feel like I know what I came to Disney to do and it was this app. That's that's how much it means to me and I'm just so proud of it and people and, love it the world over. I'm and it's so happy. and it's come out. Oh yeah. It's been uh, out. It's uh, it's out in English and Japanese, and will be out in a lot more languages by the time this podcast is. My daughter's she's gonna. Freak it's for that. it's awesome. Yeah. It's really great. Scott, how about you? So um, I think the trailer for my movie just start, came out. Um, uh, we didn't do the sound for it. Just put that out there. It's a movie called A Book of Life, and it's now in Apple trailers. It's pretty amazing. So it, it's uh, it's kind of um, a new form of anime, or not a new form, but a new look. It's uh, Pixar meets, I don't know, Tim Burton. It's kind of got its own really unique kind of cool vibe and uh, comes out for Halloween. And uh, I recommend everyone take a look at it. It's a really kind of cool trailer. That's cool. How about you, Bobby? Uh, in the middle of mixing an album, about to do pre-production on another one for another that I'm producing, uh, in the middle of writing... Another Deconstructed Hits book, it's Classic Rock Volume 2, and also uh, Mixing Tricks, 101 Mixing Tricks, both a book and a coaching course that I'm doing. Cool. And you, Mike? Uh, let's see. Uh, worked on kind of a controversial uh, commercial that's airing on the NBA Finals tonight, actually, which is the... Um, the proud to be. It's basically the anti-Redskins um, uh, commercial. It's it's actually pretty cool. It's just VO and music, um, but it was really cool. Um, recorded the VO, did all the mixing and everything. Um, it was uh, voiceover and music, and that's it. But boy, did they ever just want to pump that emotion? You know, there's a you know you're just kind of riding that music, and they're like. Give me a little more, a little less, and you're just—it was actually really fun. And the fact that it's, you know, all over YouTube right now and getting a lot of buzz, pro and con. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that was—that's—it's always fun when you see something you worked on, you know, kind of explode like that. Um, but that's about it. And uh, just getting ready for summer. Um, one thing I'm doing is um, I'm going to be taking a vacation and traveling by train because in my family, that's the de facto standard way of traveling. Um, so I too am going to redesign my little portable system. I have it, but it's just, you know, it has a little, little tweaks and little, little things here or there. So we'll have to, we'll have to talk, Rob. We'll compare notes. We'll compare notes. Where are you going to go on vacation? I'm going to Seattle. So it's a two day train trip, but it, I tell you, if you want a great way just to detox, you know, train trip, train travel, make sure you get a sleeper, don't go coach, because it's a whole other experience. And and I'm not saying that as some hoity toity. I'm just saying the sleeper, that for, the beds, do they have like sitting areas and all that? Your sitting area becomes your bed. It's bunk beds, the little roomettes. You can get you can get rooms, but 
we get these little roomettes that you, you two people you know face each other and then uh, um, then the the porter comes by later on and turns it into bunk beds you know and uh, but it's cool it's like you see gorgeous scenery and you have a little table and the way I have it set up as a matter of fact <clears throat> on our Facebook page that picture that's on our Facebook page is my old little system that I used on my last train trip that I took to Seattle. <coughs> Excuse me. You're going to bring a portable record player with you and play it on the train? <laughs> so what, what, what do the kids do? They watch – do they have like little TVs or computers? Or? They, well, they, they walk up and down the train for one because <coughs> you're not – you don't have to stay right. still. Um, they look out the window. You spend some time with your kids. The best thing about it is you really can interact with your kid. You, hey, look at that. And you go over to the, to the view car or the parlor car and you sit there and you have something to drink and you just, you just experience it. That's the great thing. It's like I can experience this with my – For with two my, days? It's great. <laughs> Each way. Each way. Oh, speaking of kids, <coughs> special shout out to Mini Me, uh, young Julian Peck, who came and has been uh, right. hanging out and watching our Pro Tools. Uh, <laughs> That's, right. That's right. <laughs> They're getting younger and younger. <laughs> he kind of stepped in for Jeremy and for Colin. So that Thank was you, awesome. Julian. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, listen, from myself and everybody, thank you so much for listening, and um, we'll catch you next time. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>